the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Welcome to our Patreon-exclusive interview series for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Tonight's interview is with the director of Manborg, Father's Day, The Void, and Psycho Gorman, Stephen Kostansky. Steve Kostansky, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Um, Corey and I host Podcasting After Dark, which is you know, a, a podcast that breaks down some of our favorite movies from the 80s and early 90s, typically more in the horror, uh, sci-fi, dark comedy genre. But um, And then I thought, you know what? We, I want to get on somebody who I feel is like the future of this genre. And when you, when you agreed, I was so excited. And then obviously um, COVID struck. <laughs> and then we were like, Oh <laughs> crap, what are we doing now? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of the perfect time to nab people for podcasts. Cause it's like, we're all stuck at home. Yeah. So what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Are you uh so you're, you're in Toronto right now, right? Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm in Toronto. I'm still able to work a little bit on uh, shows and stuff uh, from my apartment. Uh, it's just a lot of uh, well, I guess Zoom calls, but it seems like everybody's got a different program that they're using now. Yes. Uh, like every <laughs> single producer I talk to, it's like, oh, we're using this thing called Blue Jeans. And it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> Blue Jeans. Another app on my... Yeah. It's like, it seems like all these like studios and stuff, like they have their own internal things that they like commit to. I don't know if they're being paid by these companies, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like every week is me discovering some new program. Uh and even for this, it's like loading up this thing. It's like another, another thing I gotta like figure out. But this, uh, this one was relatively painless. Okay, good. <laughs> that that was our that was our intention. <laughs> I think uh, apps. <laughs> yeah, have this become... was nice and straightforward. <laughs> okay, good. I think apps have become the new um, hoarder's paradise. Like instead of clutter in your house, you have clutter on your devices. You know, of like all these random apps that you don't even use anymore. 
Oh yeah, hundred percent. And then there's no room on my phone to take pictures or do anything. I think right? That's yeah. Every, yeah then... Everyone's lives now is your phone telling you there's no space for storage. <laughs> it's, it's the conspiracy of the world, man. So, so yeah, you exactly. I so we're really yeah we're really excited to have you on the show and uh, discuss your career and and all that good stuff. I just I'm blown away. You know, in, in our in our research of of kind of digging deep into your background, um, just the projects you worked on have been so eclectic. And, you know, I, I love, uh, I'm a fan of, of, of it all. So again, thank you for being on our show. But I, I have to say, like, uh, you know, I cannot wait to kind of get into what you're working on now. But let's kind of go back to the beginning of your timeline. How did you get involved in filmmaking? Uh, I mean, as a kid, I was always making stuff like sculpting things and building stuff out of junk. Uh, my, my parents kind of gave me the best of both worlds. My dad's very technical. Uh, he worked at, uh, Manitoba Hydro, uh, back in my hometown of Winnipeg. And so he would just bring like old junk home from his work, like circuit boards and stuff and be like, here, play with these. And uh, my mom was very artsy or is very artsy and crafty and likes to paint and uh, always making stuff. So she was kind of getting me on board, like the more creative side of things. So I would just kind of noodle at home as a kid building stuff. I'd build like shitty robots that wouldn't work. (laughs) It's basically like that part in Simpsons where it's like uh, where Marge is like, see, Homer, that's why your robot didn't work. Like it was like I was building these things that were totally impractical but they look cool um and i didn't really like kind of put it all together uh into like the package of of filmmaking until uh my dad actually moved one of our vcrs into the basement and i suddenly had free reign over what i could watch at any time (laughs) and so i would obsessively watch whatever we had like taped because you know, like I, I grew up in an era where uh, my dad was all about renting movies and then taping them. Uh, yeah. So then we could yep. just kind of watch as many as we wanted. So just watching these like shitty dubbed copies of movies, like watching Robot Jocks over and over again. Oh, yeah. Uh, nice. And uh, the the one the movie that I actually started breaking down like effects and kind of like the whole process of movie making was actually Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Uh, <laughs> really? Because the movie, the movie is so clunky yeah. in its execution that it's actually like a great film school. Um, <laughs> and it's also, it was, it's like colorful and fun enough that it like, as like a, you know, 12, 13 year old, like kept me engaged. Uh, oh, yeah. But I was also old enough to understand what like, like I, I had reached that cusp where I started to figure out like what a bad movie was. Like, you know, when you <laughs> finally go to a theater and watch a thing and go like, huh, that Spawn movie wasn't really what I wanted it to be, I guess. Like, <laughs> oh, Spawn was you know, so you like reach yep. that, you, you reach that point where movies just like, like everything isn't the most amazing thing ever anymore. It's like you start to figure it out. And so it all kind of like culminated in me figuring out like the process of making movies and special effects um and just kind of like how that all merged into this package and i realized like oh i'm already kind of like making stuff out of clay and like i had like a a bit of an interest in animation so i was like i'm gonna like 
maybe go in this direction now. So I started really pursuing anim- stop motion animation first because my logic as a kid was that uh, nobody in my age group was like were capable actors. And so I figure like, instead of trying to convince people to like act in my movies, I would just do stop motion and then I'd have total control over the scenario. Yeah. Uh, So yeah. So I, uh, back then we didn't have a digital camera yet. So my dad got me, uh, rolls of super eight film that I would use in his old super eight camera. So I started doing stop motion uh, on super eight and not understanding cameras in any way. Uh, I didn't realize uh, that the exposure on the camera was set super low. So I'd spend months animating things and then I'd send the film off to get developed and it would come back and we'd set up a projector and a screen and I would go to watch it and it would just be like a blank, like a black reel of nothing. (laughs) Oh no. Uh, So I would just waste like months of my time trying to animate to get no result. Oh no. Um, which I, mean I imagine is like, there's no better teacher, though, than that. Yes, I was just going to say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Crippling disappointment is like the most important <laughs> lesson in filmmaking. Yeah. Right. Because it, you're going to encounter it every step of the way. Like in every project, you're going to have that sinking feeling of like, oh, no, like maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. And so that was like a good uh kind of like initiation into that emotional process. Um, (laughs) And so after that, I just kept doing it until I finally got it right and figured out how to crank the exposure. Could have read a manual, I guess, but I didn't feel like doing that as a kid. I mean, where's the fun in that? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. There's no sense of wonder and discovery in reading a manual. Everyone knows that. (laughs) Um, I didn't learn to program my VCR that way, so... Yeah, exactly. Trial and error is the way to do everything in life. <laughs> um, so I started making like animations that were a little more watchable. So I started submitting them to local. There was like a local film festival uh, that would play uh, locally made short films. Um, and so I was doing that for a few years, like through high school, I was doing that. Um, just kind of like animating shorts and shooting little video projects with my friends. And uh, eventually this jumping ahead a bit, this all leads up to uh, around 2006. Uh, I had met uh, Adam Brooks, mm-hmm. uh, who's like another member of Astron six. Um, he uh, was a friend of a friend and we were hanging out in our mutual friend's basement and uh, he was, I remember our first hangout, he was teaching me all the, uh, like the history of trauma movies and why I needed to get on watching those. <laughs> and so we kind of s- struck a friendship and he convinced me to submit one of my animated shorts to a, uh, local, another local film festival called the Winnipeg short film massacre. And that was where all the other members of Astron, uh, we're also submitting films and we all kind of met up at that festival because Adam was submitting shorts. Matt and Connor were submitting their shorts and Jeremy and his girlfriend, Jen were actually running the festival. And so the five of us met and we're sort of competing at first, but then realized we all had similar tastes and uh, like, like we were a very eclectic group, but we all kind of seemed to have a similar thought process when it came to making our movies and so we all teamed up 
and decided that we would help each other. So the next year, all our shorts, uh, we were involved in all of each other's short films that we had made, and we decided to have like a, a banner, like a VHS, uh, like Vestron type logo at the beginning of all our short films. Nice. Uh, and that's how Astron Six came about. And so, uh, yeah, we we swept that festival, and then uh, basically all the subsequent festivals after that, and uh, became this little uh, filmmaking collective that just was constantly working on total domination. Stuff. Total domination. <laughs> yeah, we it seems dominated like the, Winnipeg, the Ash- Manitoba. Nice. <laughs> it it seems like the the Astron Six, uh, sort of like you said, a, like a collective. It's kind of unique. You don't see that too often in uh, the film community. Well, it really felt more like just a bunch of guys who all wanted to make their own things, but then also really liked what everyone else was making and wanted to help out. Yeah. Uh, Like that to me was the golden age of Astron 6 is when we were all making shorts um, at the same time. And you got like so much variety in the kinds of things that people were making uh, because we all have our own tastes. And just being able to like know that my movie would have like, you know, probably star like either Adam, Matt or Connor and have music by Jer. And I would do the effects on everybody's movies. Like everybody kind of did something different and brought something different to the table. And uh, it was just nice to know that like you had talented people on your side and people that would like, kind of force you to be better as well because we're all very critical of each other and uh in the interest of just making the best things possible so that was really the golden age of astron six was when we were uh all making shorts simultaneous to each other uh because we just you know it felt super productive to be involved in so many things at once um it's really like the ideal situation for a creative type especially like me where my attention like wants to go in five different directions like i have trouble focusing on just one project so (laughs) the idea that like i could be uh like sculpting a creature for one of my movies and when i'm bored of it i would just go off and like do some effects for like adam's short that he's doing or go and like help out on a shoot for matt and connor and like just having variety i think was what made it uh so so fun and interesting at the time and just kept things fresh what I, 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 it's a dynamic that I, I've never really seen anywhere else. No, I was I was going to say that typically when when you see a team uh, of, of filmmakers or musicians or any any sort of artistic endeavor, um, it, it's it's often like oh we've known each other since we were kids or oh we went to college together. You guys kind of culminated around the same time that you were all creating your art and I love that you said that you challenge each other at the same time. You're you're you know critical but sounds like in 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 the best way because that's what's going to get you the the result on screen and obviously like with movies like manborg and father's day and biocop i'm a huge fan of manborg by the way um oh thank you you know the result is it speaks for itself and and what i love is 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 though you're rooted in you have this love of like schlocky trauma uh comedy horror sci-fi hybrids you tend to pull out like the best elements of that in a way because there as much as there yeah, are definitely 
there are great class of Newcomb High, Toxic Avenger, um, you know, Tromeo and Juliet, perhaps. But there's but there's a million other terrible trauma films that are that that dig even deeper. Um, but and then when you shouted out Robot Jocks from back in the day, like Robot Jocks was kind of, in my opinion, ahead of its time. And and then there was Crash and Burn and Robot Wars, which kind of followed after those. Um, you you obviously. I love that your team like has created so much kind of original content. Yeah. I mean, we're all bursting with ideas. That's for sure. And a lot of it just comes from us like riffing endlessly on stuff. That's great. I I feel like at least everything I've made is me like watching other movies and like, you know that group experience of watching a movie where you're like talking through it and like yeah. ripping on it and <laughs> yeah. talking about how it could be better. Like I feel like stuff like Manborg is totally born out of that, um, because it was actually uh, one afternoon I went and hung out with Jeremy and we watched uh, Eliminators and Shogun Assassin, oh, and God. that was when he pitched me. He pitched me the title Manborg because uh, in eliminators the uh the cyborg guy is mandroid i think yes <laughs> and so yeah, he pitched yeah. manborg as a joke and I, and I have a real problem with doing this where like i get fixated on one stupid idea and i just don't let it go that's like, great <laughs> you know, a, a melting cop that just wants to die and people won't let him like i just <laughs> i have to follow these things through to their log in my mind logical conclusion i yeah. can't just be like oh that was a funny riff now to move on with my life it's like no i'm gonna spend three years making this movie called manborg because <laughs> that makes sense in my in my weird brain for some reason the eliminators so, yeah. is pure trash by the way in in, in in the best way like um cory and i actually are, are big fans of those post-apocalyptic weird wasteland type movies uh, that, that were born out of probably much better. <laughs> oh yeah. Stock. All the, the uh, Italian Mad Max ripoffs uh, like warriors of the wasteland oh, yeah. or uh, 2019, the fall of New York. Yeah. That's great. Uh, they're all great. Uh, but eliminators, e- I actually watched it again. Not that's a good one. Wheels of fire. I watched recently and actually nice. it was pretty good. I was surprised. But to go back to Eliminators, it's like I find watching movies like that are a good uh, create creativity boost because I get so bored in them because they're so (laughs) they're so slight. Yeah. Like they never really live up to the poster. And I think that was just that was just the style at the time, like in the 80s and early 90s. Like it's the full moon syndrome of like we have like great promotion and like 30 minutes of movie that we've stretched out to 70 minutes. Well, yeah, that's what, so you have a lot of time to sit there, sit there and like, think about like (laughs) what you would do in this universe. Well, Charles uh, eliminators. Yeah, exactly. And so eliminators, especially like when you're, you know, in the midst of that boat chase, (laughs) <laughs> like wondering when it's going to be over. It's like, that's when the brain starts to drift and starts to come up with other ideas. So, I mean, you can fault the movies for being a little slow, but I think it does help uh, inspire uh, at least my creative, creative energy 
Well, it's, it's almost them. like a, it's a part of your meditation process. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to have that stuff on like in front of me, like flashing through my brain, I guess, <laughs> to like start triggering those ideas. Cause uh, not to like jump way ahead, but like for my next movie PG, uh, it was the exact same thing where I was watching rawhead Rex and I was getting real oh, bored. Classic example. And just yep. like, like yep. how can I like take this idea of like an ancient, like godlike monster and make it actually fun. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think there is there is merit to these movies not fully delivering on their promises because then it should, you know, hopefully inspire someone well, to you, figure out how to take it to the next step. It's funny you say Rawhead Rex because I remember when that came out and everyone said, you know, from the mind of Clive Barker, you know, Hellraiser. <laughs> and, and then and you're like, OK, it, it's going to be the next Hellraiser. It's got a big monster in it. It's going to be great. Then you watch and you're like. Wait, how long is this? I call it um I, I've coined a new term recently called the Ginty syndrome based on Robert Ginty uh from Exterminator. And because Corey and I <laughs> talked about Exterminator uh on podcasting after dark and broke down that movie and we said, you know, what is the fascination fascination with this guy? He he's he's really interesting. He has this kind of lull. Uh, hypnotic put you to sleep energy but yet you want to keep watching more of him so <laughs> yeah yeah a, a, like a more recent movie that tapped into that energy i thought was uh panos cosmatos's uh beyond the black rainbow yes mm. oh totally uh, which it's like so slow yes like painfully slow painfully, but i yeah. love putting it on because it gives me that same vibe of just like you're kind of hypnotized a little bit yeah by the more by the style and the aesthetic than by anything like plot related like sometimes you just want to sit in that world and not be bombarded with plot like it's it reminds me of that era before we were so focused on appealing to foreign markets where it's like we have to over exposit everything like it's like exposition to the extreme where you know (laughs) like in modern movies characters are explaining things like five times just so that everybody on the planet gets it (laughs) um whereas i feel like like yeah something like eliminators doesn't really (laughs) like there's room to have that exposition but they don't really use it because they're just kind of focused more on like tone more than anything and so i feel like that's there are benefits to not just filling your movie uh, with dialogue yeah beyond the black rainbow are a good example beyond the black rainbow was one of those movies too where i was so excited because I, i'm a fan of like phase four and i feel like it has a little bit of blue sunshine in it and uh like and i, I love those movies from back in the day and then you put it on or in a little bit of um strange behavior like dead kids with the idea of going to like a you know uh this 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 center to be you know yeah hypnotized or whatever and and then you put it on and you're like Okay, if I if the sound was off and we were having a party visually, it's got that Fulci like oh I, I just want to watch it and I don't need to even know what's going on kind of aesthetic, and then you, yeah if you just want to sit down and actually grasp it, well it'll put you to sleep really quickly and <laughs> which is not necessarily a bad thing but uh, <laughs> don't, maybe not yeah the... no like I I like putting weird stuff like that on late at night as I'm falling asleep because I feel like it 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 leads to stranger dreams yes. And, just like kind of lulls you to sleep in a fun way and that's, birthing something that's kind like of men. what yeah like uh my my new obsession is that app Tubi, 
Uh, oh yeah. Which I, I feel like is the video store from like the early two thousands that I've been missing <laughs> so much where it's like, there, it still has a lot of the holdovers from the nineties and eighties, yeah. but there's also just a lot of like early two thousands trash, like, <laughs> like unwatchable trash like yeah. boa versus python level like <laughs> asylum stuff so it's like a good mix of just everything like pre-streaming era yes and so i'll just pick like movies at random that like that maybe i've seen on like best of the worst or something and be like oh yeah i'll just put that on and it's like time to watch project metal beast <laughs> and, I don't, it's like the it's the closest I've gotten to that feeling of going to the video store and just like picking stuff at random and being like, well, this has a weird cover. Like this will be fun to watch with my friends tonight. Yeah, so the, the, the yeah, heyday. that's where, that's what I've been busy with during quarantine is uh, <laughs> just scouring through Tubi to find what movie I'm going to fall asleep to. At yeah, I love it. I've, I've been singing the praises of Tubi to everyone that can listen because it's just the best collection of just, like you said, crappy cult movies from like the 80s. And uh, we had to re-interview, uh, we had to review uh, Night of the Comet. And uh, of course, because of the quarantine, the my Amazon was delayed. So, uh, but Tubi was to the rescue. I could actually watch it on there. So I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> so well, I'm glad Tubi fin- finally allowed me to watch uh, Mutant Hunt. Which I think was I don't know if Empire I don't know if Empire Pictures produced it, but I think maybe it was like an acquisition of theirs. Okay, because it feels almost too cheap for Empire. But uh, yeah, that's a movie that uh, I, boy, am I glad to be exist just so I can witness things like that and have it just readily at my disposal because. It, it delivered on that poster's nonsense promise of a I was just cyborg man say. with a long arm. Yeah, it's got a great, great poster, and then you watch, and you're like, "Oh, okay. Well, at least it's got that." So, <laughs> <laughs> at least that happens in the cheapest ways possible. Right. But uh, so I, I was, I wanted to get back to Manborg though, uh, in regards to uh, cyborg and 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 influenced uh, movies. It, you said that took you three years to make. Well, it was about a year to shoot it. Because it was just like on and off on weekends. Okay. Like, like that was back before I actually knew the like structure and process of making movies. So I was just like, I'm going to shoot this scene Thursday night and hopefully <laughs> people are around. And like that would just be every week. And so I was, uh, I think I was finishing up university at the time. So I kind of had a little bit of leeway uh, to shoot stuff uh, and not be too bogged down by work. Um, so yeah, it was kind of just a slapdash process of shooting whenever I could. And, uh, we shot in the basement of, uh, a store that sold blinds in Winnipeg. They just had like this big empty basement that they loaned out to me. Nice. Um, So I (laughs) threw up a green screen and just threw a bunch of junk around and started shooting. So yeah, it was like a pretty fun, crazy process, just making all the costumes and stuff myself and all the props. And uh, yeah, just doing it bit by bit by bit for a year. And then it was two years of uh, teaching myself After Effects because <laughs> I didn't think that, uh, like I didn't plan ahead for how much work it would be to do all the miniatures and all the uh, 
like compositing and stop motion that was required. It was really poorly thought out. Uh, <laughs> if I had known it would take me that long to make it, I might have scaled back a bit or been a little more efficient with my filmmaking. But uh, at the time, I just wanted to make the biggest, craziest thing I could make for no money at all. And so, yeah, that's what I did. That was the hell I put myself in. Well, you, you put yourself in hell, like the, the war in the movie, you know, but uh, I, I, I was going to yeah, ask exactly. you, I was going to ask you if, and maybe you're not familiar, but uh, Captain Power, if that was any sort of influence on you at all with the. Um... Oh, of course. I love that show. Oh, cool. I cool. Uh, nice. actually just pulled out the DVD set not too long ago to rewatch. Oh, yeah. With the, uh, with the awesome Drew Struzan art on the cover. Oh, yeah. I love that art. Uh, yeah. One of my like, like, crowning achievements of my career, I think, was when we did the Manboard comic book. Uh, we actually got <laughs> nice. Gary Goddard to sign off on putting an ad for Captain Power, the DVD set, in the comic book. Oh, so cool. I feel like those worlds collided perfectly, and uh, yeah, that was like kind of the the payoff to me for the whole movie was kind of having his approval on that. But, well, I don't uh, think yeah, that's... I love Captain Bauer. That's that that's is awesome. that is so cool that he was a, that he gave you his blessing so to speak. But um and I and I love that. Like and I was saying that earlier, your your movies don't feel like parody in a way and it, and it's like proper homage and it doesn't feel like you're ripping off. It feels like you're taking you found that nice middle ground to be heavily influenced by something from your childhood and your and your youth and 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 make it your own, really. And I think that's why yeah, to me well, your movies stand out. Well, I really feel like for this stuff to work, you have to filter it through your own sensibilities. For like sure. I think a lot of a lot of like filmmakers that lean into homage and pastiche a little too much, like it's just a copy and paste yeah. process. Like I I rip on Stranger Things a lot, uh, <laughs> and I'm gonna do it again because uh, I feel like there's so many moments in that first season. Uh, where it's just like they, it feels like they just lifted a thing out of something else, and we're like, yeah. "Here you go, here's a thing," yeah. And it's like, "Well, but you just took that from Nightmare on Elm Street, like there, you didn't enhance it, you didn't take it and do put your voice on it. It's just like we needed a thing here, so we just took it from something else." And I never want to do that. I always want it to be like my spin on an idea, like a pre-existing idea or a collection of pre-existing ideas, and the process of like kind of filtering it through my own imagination, my own perspective gives it a voice. And I think that's the most important part is like, you can't lose your voice. Like I always want it to feel like you're watching a movie with me and I'm like commenting and twisting and contorting the like narrative in front of you. And I never want the like, any of the homages to like overtake that like they're not as important as the story i'm trying to tell so yeah, yeah story that's first mission mission accomplished because um you know and i want to jump a little bit ahead to the void because i feel like while in in many ways um you you i, I you executed that perfectly in my opinion because you're watching this journey and you're saying oh that reminds me of this a little bit. Oh, oh, that's cool. That that reminds me of this, you know, scene in Prince of Darkness or whatever. And then you, but but you're able to do it in a way where you're like, no, 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 no. This doesn't feel like I'm rehashing. And 
yeah, it's, uh, you know, throwing up a can of Coke like in Stranger Things and going, see, this is 1985. Um, you know, we're, we're taking it back kind of thing. And th- can yeah, you talk? Yeah, exactly. Can you talk a little bit about the process of, of making The Void, especially with the fact that you, you didn't do it alone, you co-directed? Um, yeah, Jer and I made that together, and it was definitely a case of us wanting to not be labeled as just like like homage throwback filmmakers, yeah. even though that movie is inspired uh, by classic horror. It, the idea... Our like mantra going into it was like we just want to make a good, scary, dread-filled movie, and it's more just a coincidence that all the movies we think are scary and dread-filled that have the techniques that we admire are like like they're all movies that predate like 1990. So, it's, well, that speaks like, for itself. It's kind of like how <laughs> it's it's kind of like how people call like like creature effects or like oh that's like old school. It's like, I don't really think that makes sense. It's like, no, it's just the right technique for the job. Just like I think, like, like if you shoot a movie that looks like The Shining, I don't feel like you're being, like, old school. You're just making a movie that looks like how a good horror movie should look. You know, like, (laughs) does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Like, there's techniques established that lead to a good result, and I feel like, modern filmmaking has gotten away from those techniques so why not just kind of like take a few steps back and reassess kind of like well what's actually going to get the effect that we want and so with the void it was like going for a more deliberate dread-filled atmosphere uh that was getting away from all the stuff that we were seeing at the time uh like we were really against like trying to do anything that feels like it's like like a, a conjuring or an insidious type movie. Like yeah. I, at that time, especially I was so sick of the like family moves to a house and there's like a ghost in it. Yeah. Scenario. Yeah, it everywhere. Like everywhere. I was so, so bored of that, that I was, and that's not even to say that I don't like those movies. Cause I like a lot of them, but I just, I want variety in my, like in my like film selection. And so I just want to aim for something that's just, maybe a little off the beaten path and not just like, because especially in film, like marketing and anytime you talk to like producers pitching projects, it's always the conversation of like, well, like uh, what's out now that it's like that we can like kind of tether it to. Mm, Yeah. And so with the void, we didn't want to do that. We didn't want it to be like, here's, here's a movie that's, yeah, just like something you're seeing in the theater like you saw last weekend. It's like we wanted to make a thing that made you go like, oh, right, I missed these kinds of movies. Well, um, you, you had said something. Kind of like contain. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I was I, – sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I was going to say that um, Corey and I both watched your uh, the making of as well, which, which first of all was so fascinating to watch. And um, – and and you've made a comment about how when you're trying to come up with a name and you were thinking about the fog and it, it made me in watching your movie reminded me of Carpenter in that way where his movies were not just another movie that was like something else that year. In fact, you could look at his body of work in those in the in the 80s specifically and say nothing compared to what he was doing at that time. And so making your film at the time when everything was, you know, a 
a, someone using a handheld camera and, or a, a, a monitor in your bed in your bedroom and seeing picking up a ghost or um, you know someone's bones cracking and their head spinning and you're like whoa what's going on you know this kind of which I'm not shitting on those movies either but I what I appreciate and Corey and I both appreciate is the fact that your movie was it just felt so fresh uh, and and had those elements of like oh yeah finally something different that I can kind of trip out on yeah exactly different, different and I think yet familiar uh, you know yeah well that's what interesting. you want you want a, yeah. a little bit of that comforting familiarity like just a little hint of it and i feel like even carpenter's stuff has that but yes and i'm and i'm sure all the stuff that he makes like he has all his influences in all of those movies yes but he's never just copying he's just he's still like putting his voice into it and i think that was that's the key with everything that that I've made, and especially with the void, we wanted to have kind of our unique, our unique perspective, uh, mashing my sensibilities with Jeremy's sensibilities, and you can definitely see those like at odds throughout the film. Oh, really? Um, which I think makes I think it, it makes ultimately for a more interesting movie. Uh, I feel I feel like the conclusion of that movie is like a very Steve conclusion. Okay. And I feel like the buildup of the movie is a very Jer buildup where Jer's more <laughs> into uh, like, well, this maybe is not the most accurate comparison, but I'll might simplify that logic a little bit. It's like Jer is more the David Fincher. And I think I'm a little more the Sam Raimi. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Where yeah, it's totally. like, I and I mean, maybe Sam Raimi's not accurate. Maybe a little more like John Coscarelli. Uh, oh yeah, nice. where it's like I like more like fantastical stuff, and he yep. likes grounded, gritty realism more. And uh, so, like, I think those two sensibilities are always uh, fighting with each other through the movie. So which, you're basically again, Phantasm think... Two, right? You're, you're, what you're saying is you guys are Phantasm <laughs> Two because the first half of that is like kind of this kind of action mystery set piece, and then it, at the end just un- explodes into gore and mayhem. <laughs> oh yeah, I think it's it's definitely in that realm. Though nice. I'm sure Jared would get mad if I compared the Void to Phantasm Two. Oh, I'd probably he'd sorry. he'd be okay with more Phantasm One. Okay, I think no, we're no, both I dig on that. board that one being the best one. <laughs> I, I just because I mean. I think it fits uh, tonally <laughs> yeah, more yeah. just because two also is like a bigger studio movie. Yes. And one sure. is still kind of a gritty low budget thing, which is what the void uh, definitely is. Oh, no doubt um, about that. It's, yeah. It's like interesting we, that you uh, mentioned the, the budget. Um, my, my brother-in-law, I showed it to him, the void for the first time for him this week. Uh, Zach and I had seen it before and everything. Um, uh, but it, it was, you know, obviously wanted to revisit it. And, you know, we, we live in this day and age where we're kind of aware of what the budget for movies are and everything. And you kind of go into your viewing of these movies with these background knowledge. And, uh, you know, I'm going to paraphrase just a smidge, but when we finished the movie, he was quite impressed with just how big the film felt yeah. at the end with, you know, knowing that the budget wasn't, you know, billions of dollars like a Marvel movie or something. Yet you guys pulled off this just incredibly huge concept, you know, and 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 pulled it off extremely well, too. Yeah. And then tonally, 
Um, you know, we, you know, cause obviously him and I discussed, you know, the movie afterwards and, you know, we both like, you know, you can see the influence, you can feel the influences and stuff. You can feel Prince of Darkness here and there, but it's always your own. Like it's, it's always the void. It's, it's like the, the void, you can see its inspirations, but it's, it's its own film. It, it, it inhabits its own world. Uh, and by the way, fantastic world building too, as, as someone who's a big fan of world building, I love yeah. that movie. Um, and but yeah, it's you. just, I, I love the fact that you can you can taste the differences or not you can taste the influences in the void, but it's still it's its own taste at the end. It's its own movie, but just the scale of it is absolutely impressive. What was um what was the inspiration for that? Just that end, you know, shot you know that we all know about with the you know the otherworldly uh, well, I mean, area. That, I mean, when we set out to make it, it was uh, like very much we wanted to convey. Like I, I feel like cosmic horrors become kind of an overused term recently, but at the time <laughs> it wasn't, and so we were, you know, saying we wanted that kind of cosmic dread uh, that I feel like we were drawing more from uh, like uh, literary influences because there's not a ton of movies that really gave us that sense. Yeah, um, but just that sense of like, I mean, just to endlessly bring up Phantasm, uh, I feel like that movie, like conveys that really well totally kind of isolation and sense of impending doom and so that was like uh like an idea that we like really just wanted to hammer home through the movie and the idea of ending in like like what's essentially like the money shot of the movie Mm -hmm. uh it was always something that we wanted to have happen like that kind of uh like big almost like twilight zoning moment of just realizing how insignificant we are in the universe uh, was like a theme that we really wanted to uh, like have hit as the, like the last image of the movie. Like that's what we wanted people to walk out of the theater uh, feeling was just like that yeah. overwhelming sense of dread. Uh, and it was like super effective. Just a little, I mean, it, it had like a little smidge of hope to it at the end with them holding hands, like just a tiny bit, but still, <laughs> like enough uh like enough impact that i think it like kind of conveys that vibe that we wanted to have for the movie yeah the, them holding hands is is a much uh, even if it's a small thing it's it's a lot nicer than like say uh the beyond you know fulci is the beyond yeah. which kind of has like the, which i love i love that ending um i love that uh that moment in prince of darkness where you see her on the other side of the of the glass it's like i love these little glimpses and man yeah the like you said the money shot and in, in the void at the end it just it's so perfect because it's it's what you're left with at the end so now you it immediately makes you want to go and rewatch the movie with with like sort of that knowledge in your head. It's, it's kind of a great way to force people to go and rewatch it like almost immediately. <laughs> well, and I was going to say, I'm oh, always, yeah, I was just going to say, it's like always interesting to hear people talk about the movie because like, like their impressions of it, because for me and Jeremy making it, it's like, we knew all the mythology going in yeah. like, and we knew how it was going to end. So it's always interesting hearing how people react to this stuff because of I feel like the reactions to the movie initially were very mixed because some people it seems like they weren't kind of prepared for it to go in those directions. And like you were talking about world building, uh, it seemed like that didn't work for a lot of people too. Like, like they seemed to be thrown off by not having all the answers. 
like to like oh, not see, understanding that i like when you don't have both. this kind of I, story yeah, yeah. it's yeah, nice I to have like both. actual gaps to to allow yeah. the the viewer's imagination uh to to go wild with but i think the reason it works so well and and what i love about world building is when the creators you guys know what all the answers are but you're not giving them to us but yet there's no contradictory evidence in the movie so meaning like you guys follow your own logic and i i don't care what the logic is as long as you follow the movie's you know logic for it and you could i could tell that it just it was oozing with world building to the point where i was like cool i i, I want to like a, a comic book backstory just a little bit more but if i don't get it there's enough fun there enough room there for me to feel satisfied and for my imagination to go buck wild with it so it's a fun movie it's and and we posted about it on on instagram before we did the interview and it's you know i i don't know if it's building up more steam uh, as it's getting you know as it's getting older but it has a very strong following online yeah it really does well i discovered doing the uh like kind of festival tour uh back when it came out uh i think North American audiences were looking for more of a like midnight movie. Like, mm. like I think they were expecting it to be more slapstick, but mm. going like when we did our kind of Europe tour for the movie, it seemed to click a lot better and people seemed to embrace what you were saying. Like the kind of like world building aspect of it and not having all the answers. And it seems like now that time has passed, it's kind of found its place uh kind of in the horror community um because yeah you're always fighting expectation with people and it's like you go into a movie with like this preconceived idea of what it's supposed to be and when you don't get that that equals a bad movie apparently so i think uh giving like time has been kind to the movie because people i think have like there like there's definitely people who like really responded to it at the time but i feel like it's more people have kind of gotten on board what it is and what it's trying to accomplish. Well, um, I think you could, I think you could lump that into, if you look at movies from the eighties and, and I love that you brought up phantasm and you can keep bringing up phantasm all you want, because it's one of my favorite horror films of all time. Um, but it, in this idea that it, it, it gained popularity as it got older. And I think nowadays our audiences are typically like, well, if it's, if it didn't hit me over the head, in the first viewing, then it's not a good movie or, you know, and then there's nothing wrong with something aging more with time, yeah. you know? Yeah. There seems to be an attitude of like just being the first person to give your opinion on a thing yep. and less about actually considering the thing. Like, I feel like traditional film criticism has totally gone out the window. <laughs> yeah. uh, like the, the Roger Ebert era Yep, I think is long gone, and now it's like people just need a thing to post. So yeah, that instant like, gratification. Give, yeah, and it's not so much about like actually meditating on the movie a little bit and yep. like seeing how you feel about it. But I don't know. It's like becomes pretty thankless as a filmmaker. Uh, like kind of watching that play out, even when it's with other movies, like the way things have become so polarized into either like it's the best movie I've ever seen. And if you don't like it, you're an idiot or it's the worst thing I've ever seen. And if you don't like it, you're an idiot. It's yeah. become so like politicized. Yeah. It's, it's a bunch of bullshit. It's, it's almost like, like even just like the discussions we're having right now feel so antiquated because yeah, it's like, you know, a, a calm 
like polite discussion about movies, whereas the online community typically doesn't seem uh, too on board with that. No, so <laughs> and our and audience like yeah. to, it's yeah snarky. <laughs> people like they're snarky, and and that seems to like what always sort of gravitates the he- you know towards the headlines is is snark and negativity. Actually, Zach and I, whenever we do review our movies, we really try to lean away from from any kind of negativity. We'll we'll you know obviously call it out when we see it, but we try to 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 delve into what we love about the film because at the end of the day, and we can all talk about what we hate, but let's actually like talk about you know what we love. Um, I do want to I do want to gush for one quick second when you said that um, uh, a lot of times you, the void kind of it wasn't what people sort of expected and everything. And I remember when I first saw the, it for the first time a few years back uh, is that when Zach and I watched it together. Um, <laughs> the funny you say that because it was literally everything that I wanted it to be and and was like hoping awesome. it would be yeah. when yeah. when I saw the um, the trailers and I was like I ho- I was like I hope it goes there you know wh- wherever it goes I want it to go there and I hope it goes big and honestly and I was did. like oh my like <laughs> it actually it hit everything that I wanted it to hit and was yeah. was scared that you guys wouldn't hit you know so uh, I just wanted to add that <laughs> not really a discussion oh, point well, just wanted to throw you. it out no there. see that. <laughs> But that's what I mean is like that's that's a thing I've kind of grown into understanding as a filmmaker is that you can't connect with everybody and you should really just appreciate the people you do connect with. Yeah. Like because, yeah, it just means there's like like minded people out there that get what you're doing and uh, a lot of people who don't get it either. So, I mean, you just you, you can't like take every every criticism to heart necessarily it's like not every movie is for everybody and uh and not every movie has to be like a a a disney like you know a marvel movie that like has to make a like a billion dollars like overseas or something like this movie the void sits happily you know on on the shelf you know and and people look through my blu-ray collection like oh what's this and it's like it's one of those movies that you're excited to kind of like show people uh that and you know what i mean there's a place for those kind of movies it doesn't have to all be mega budgets and everything not everything has to be a four quadrant movie and right it seems like Unfortunately, that's just the direction that filmmaking and TV is going. And it even was doing that back when we made The Void. Uh, There were so many stupid hoops that we had to jump through uh, just to get our vision on screen, which honestly, like this will sound crazy, but Jer and I like set out to make what we thought was like our version of a contained movie that was (laughs) like more contained movie like smaller than what we were used to and a more accessible movie. And I feel like we made the opposite on like (laughs) both those regards. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I mean, that just shows what, where our heads are at when we think of something as a, as a small movie, it's, it's never small. Like, I don't think I'll ever make a movie that's like two people in a room having a conversation. (laughs) Like there's always, there's going to be a monster somewhere and maybe it'll be on fire. I don't know. Well, speak, speaking of <laughs> monsters, uh, I, I, I do want to talk a little bit about PG Psycho Gorman because uh, that was – you were slated to uh, premiere that at South by Southwest, right? Right before everything. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. Uh, was the most wonderful timing of a pandemic uh, ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, honestly, over my film career, I've had so many, like, left turns and – had so much 
like so many wrenches thrown into the mix like even just on the void like it was easily like the most soul crushing and like mentally crippling experience jar and i've ever had oh yeah so the making of docu kind of explored that a little bit and that's just the tip of the iceberg there is so much more to that story i feel like maybe when the wounds have totally healed jar and i will uh (laughs) put the whole thing out there please do please do love to see that uh yeah someday so yeah when the south by southwest got canceled it was like oh okay like whatever it's (laughs) you just had worse (laughs) yeah exactly i mean i'm just happy like the movie is done and i'm and i think it's great and i'm excited for the world to see it Um, your trailer is phenomenal that looks so damn good. oh thank you yeah it, I, mean, I, uh, I think that's what what kind of got me excited to reach out to you in the first place. Is I told Corey, I'm like, we need to get Stephen on our show because this looks like it's going to blow up. Well, it, it is, does look awesome. Uh, it is definitely not the void. I will say that much. <laughs> it is maybe it's not a very serious movie. It's probably the most purely Steve movie you're ever nice. going to get. Nice. Um, but uh yeah it's like it's a movie i don't even know how to summarize it's it was born out of my love of the trope of like villain becoming the hero uh mm. a la like t2 yeah um and yeah just kind of like playing with those tropes and like kind of kids adventure movie tropes and uh kind of turning them on their heads and also my love of uh, like Japanese monster movies and uh, like Sentai shows and uh, like Common Rider and I'm a big Giver fan. And I, was, so, I was gonna one. I, I was gonna, gonna say, say I, I, yeah, I was gonna say I sense a lot of guy, some Giver in that in that trailer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I yeah, I love Giver so much and uh, yeah. just that kind of like creature suit action horror fantasy is yeah. a thing that nobody is making outside of Japan right now. And it baffles me that there's not anything like it. Um, Cause yeah, Power Rangers was a big thing when I was growing up and it was like my window into that kind of uh, like series and, and movie world that I didn't even know existed. Like I also loved like Godzilla movies as a kid. Um, and so this was me kind of like, working out all of those uh creative urges into one into one movie uh because it's a lot there's a lot of shit in this movie i don't (laughs) think people are quite prepared for what they're gonna get that is the uh, best summarizing summary you could do for it (laughs) there's a lot of shit in this movie and i don't think people are ready for it that's the best (laughs) that's all you need to say (laughs) it's like it's it's funny because it's the same as something even like the void it's what similarity it shares where like where that where the movie starts is not where the movie ends. The movie ends <laughs> That's great. in a place you will not expect. And I think it's got lots of weird twists and turns and uh, a lot of heart too, which I think is important for a movie like this. Um, it was important to not just make it a pastiche of stuff. Like there is a story and there's, you know, characters that you care about and uh, some really great performances and uh yeah it's just super fun movie i'm very proud of it and i feel like however it gets out there 
people are going to see it eventually. Uh, I mean, the film festival thing doesn't seem like a, a likelihood right now, but to be yeah. honest, I'm like kind of bored of that world anyway. Uh, okay. I just, yeah, I want people to see it however they can. So worst, worst case scenario, it'll be uh, on Shutter or uh, Blu-ray or uh, I don't know, at a drive-in or something. Like, we're, we're still figuring <laughs> well, yeah, all those, those are coming details back. out. Yeah, well, I think it might be a viable option uh, because they are becoming more popular. And I mean, when I'm reading about like, uh, what was that horror movie? The Wretched was like oh, yeah. number mm-hmm. one at the box office because it played a couple drive-ins. Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> that phenomenal. seems like that's like a great story now for that those filmmakers to have. So you can, like, And you can slap that on that. You can slap that yeah. on the cover of a DVD or Blu-ray and be like, hey, we were the number one movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So why not capitalize on that? But we'll sure. see. Like we, we sold it, uh, U.S. rights to RLJ and Shudder. So there will be uh, like physical media at some point, maybe the fall. And okay. then, yeah, Shudder after that. Uh, so it will be on streaming. I just love, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to come back to Phantasm again. Um, I just love how. Please Cos- do. I watched uh, Phantasm three and four this morning, so oh. we can talk Phantasm all day if you want. <laughs> well, I, w- I was just going to say that I love that Coscarelli, um, you know, it, it, Mike it, is such a great kid uh, character. And, and I always loved how kind of real and grounded he felt uh in 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 that first movie and and how just his dialogue just felt so original and and how you know well coscarelli also he made a movie called um kenny and company which came out in 76 i think anyways um i had to you can get that off of netflix their their physical um system you know in the discs form still which is great because you can't pretty much find it anywhere else um but that was when i was first kind of introduced to michael baldwin and i was like this kid is so cool and then you go into this world and i feel like you know when when you're talking about kind of going overboard or going into the void so to speak um when reggie's getting pulled into the other dimension and you're like well what if he got sucked in completely and that was the ending of the movie, you know, and uh, and and the but I love the way it ended, anyways, and I love all the endings of the Phantasm movies because going back to letting the audience kind of figure out or fill in the the, the gaps, that that is yeah. Corey and I always talk about how much we love that, especially with Carpenter, the way he ends his movies, and you're like, wait, well, what's going to happen next, you know? And and I actually talked to John Carpenter years ago about that. Uh, met him at a Fangoria convention and he's like, well, I want to leave it up to you to decide. Um, and, and Coscarelli kind of feels that same way with, with, especially with the Phantasm franchise of like, what's going to happen next. We'll just have to see kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, to me, uh, like Phantasm four, the ending of four is like, Oblivion. that's the real yeah. ending to me because I yeah. like that question mark so much yes. yeah. of, Mike on the ground dying and Reggie being like, I'm coming right back for you. And like running off like through the tuning forks. Like, yes, it's just such a great climactic moment because I feel like those movies are all about hopelessness and like the inevitability of death. And I feel like they, in that moment they've lost, but Reggie isn't giving up. Yeah. And 
I, I, I don't know. It just has like so much weight in that moment of the idea of like, what, like what is he even going to do against this like unstoppable force that just you kill him and he just keeps coming back. And there's no, that we have been given no sense that he is, he can be stopped in any way. But the right. fact that Reggie just like so committed, like cares about Mike so much and like keeps pressing on is just, it has so much like punch to it Yep. in a way that I feel like horror movies, especially don't typically have. Like that's why I gravitate towards stuff like phantasm more than anything else, because I feel like it has actual emotional weight in a way that like, other like like slasher franchises don't really carry with them you know like i feel like there's more like there's more drama to chew on in those and i don't know i just i like it that's just you know different strokes for different folks like maybe other people like get that out of jason takes manhattan but (laughs) for me it's like no it's all about phantasm like that's like the series that has has the most to it i think like the, the most depth I totally agree. I feel like at one point, you know, there was always discussion back in the day. Well, what if Roger Avery took over and he was supposed to make his version of it? And uh, and then like a, I think a, a comic book came out with 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 his version of it. I, I'm trying to remember back. It's a yes, foggy. Uh, actually, I have the comic. Uh, Coscarelli actually signed it for me because we shared a table at uh, like our Rue Morgue Festival of Fear years and years oh, ago. Nice. Um, nice. But yeah, it's like. I think it's sort of based off of that original idea for wasn't it like called Phantasm nineteen ninety nine or something yes, or like Phantasm yes. twenty thirteen? I feel like it changed titles a couple times, but the one where the premise was like the America is a total wasteland and yep. there's like kind of like these kind of fortified strongholds and they're like traveling through like destroyed America to get the tall man and he's become this basically like god figure. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, the comic, uh, from what I remember, kind of follows that premise, and uh, it's pretty awesome. I mean, it's something I wish there was more, like, like spinoff stuff like that. Like, I'd even take, like, books or anything uh, just in that universe. Oh, I no I just doubt. find it all so interesting. And I, I, what I like about it is it does the thing that we tried to do with The Void, which is, like, every answer you get to a question you might have just raises more questions. Like I like how in phantasm four, you like find out who the tall man is, Yeah, but it doesn't, but it doesn't actually answer the question of who he is. It's like, Oh, well that was his like, like this was the like starting point of him becoming this like evil force, but it still doesn't explain like what happened to him. He just kind of walks through the tuning forks and comes back, and he's all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. like possessed by evil. Yeah. So I like that that still leaves you with something to dwell on while still advancing the story a little bit. So I feel like it just it straddles that line of like, like giving you bits of interesting information, but also like raising more questions at the same time. Oh no so, doubt. Yeah. I I will I will tell you too if 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 you're able to. I don't even know if it's out there on ebay or whatnot but if you can track down uh the paper book novelization of phantasm the original uh there's a little more exposition in the story and uh it's 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 a it's a cool little read especially if you love the the series i think i might have to track that down (laughs) yeah i might (laughs) i I want it maybe i'll scan every single page and i'll send it to you in a pdf so there you go <laughs> i mean it, it might be something i wouldn't be surprised if some fan out there 
didn't already do that, but I will track this down. I also just being a completist about phantasm stuff, I kind of want to just get it. So yeah, you should. Any, no price is too high. I uh, <laughs> look. I, I mean, Corey knows my love of of phantasm. There's a guy named um, his company's called Attack of the Clay People. He makes like clay uh, resin figures of horror and sci-fi characters, and he did. For a time, he was doing custom figures, so I had to make a Reggie and Mike. Um, oh, and, sweet! And yeah, like with the you know, and and I was a huge fan of Phantasm II's weapon choice, like with the four barrel shotgun. And oh so, yeah. So he made like the four barrel shotgun for that for me and everything. So you know, I've got a That's I've got awesome. a I've got a little son who is not old enough yet to watch those movies, but he knows that because he's big into weapons, and he's like, "That's <laughs> cool." I'm like, "Yeah, we'll talk about that later." So, <laughs> but um, well, I. I feel like Don Coscarelli has pointed out how important iconography is totally in telling your stories. And I feel like he is such a master of creating these images that you just immediately latch onto, like of like an ice cream man with a four barrel shotgun. Like it's, <laughs> it's just brilliant. such a classic image to me. Yeah. Like even their car is just so oh, like the cool Hemi-Kuda? and memorable. Like yeah, yeah, every everything about it, like it's like feels so specifically tailored to like stay in your brain like it feels like there was that like nothing was just casually decided like it feels like all the images in those movies are very deliberate and i to me that's like real real craftsmanship that i think a lot of low budget horror doesn't put the effort into uh i'll one more thing before we go back to not talking about phantasm but uh (laughs) when i was like in my early teens and this idea of like another phantasm movie seemed very like unachievable i actually started building stop motion puppets uh because i was going to attempt to make like my version of like the phantasm 1999 story because i was so like i was just so into the mythology of it i was like oh i just want to make it and i'll just make like a little tall man and stuff and like just animate this thing and it proved to be way too daunting uh (laughs) so it never happened uh, but it was a thing that I was like mapping out, uh, as a, as a 15 year old at one point. So yeah, oh, that's d- how d- obsessed I was as a kid. Do you have any photos from that still? I don't think anything survived. Oh, like that no. was all back in Winnipeg. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely something that was like loosely in the works for a period of time before I realized that it was totally unachievable. See, this is speaking to Corey and I, our own personal feelings on just uh, horror and sci-fi and pop culture in general, like making your own versions of the things you love so much because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't coming out. <laughs> um, so you're yeah. like, oh, you know, I'm going to oh, just yeah. do my own version. It's... Oh, trust me. Like the, me and the Astron six guys, like we've had many discussions about like wanting to just make our own Friday the 13th movie yeah. because it feels like it's never going to happen. <laughs> I mean, it's, I feel like there's lots of fan films for that out there. Cause he's yeah. like one of the more achievable characters to build, but like, I don't I, that like feeling it's, it's such a like specific to like the horror genre feeling of like, you just, you just want that thing so bad that you're just going to go out and make it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I definitely feel that about a lot of franchises. Like it, we're in kind of a, an unfortunate time i guess halloween being the exception but it's like there's not really a lot like like all these franchises i grew up with that i was all like excited about like oh i'll start making movies and i can be a part of these like 
they've all just kind of like stagnated or they're just on hold perpetually. And it's like a little disheartening that all the stuff I grew up on is just like stuck on a shelf and people aren't doing anything with it. Yeah, uh, that franchisability so. with with movies just kind of seems like it's gone by the wayside at the moment. Um, we, we well, just, I guess also horror. the straight to video yeah. market yeah. doesn't really exist in the same way anymore. Like, yeah. I mean, my <laughs> the ideal time for me to be making movies apparently would have been like late '90s, early 2000s, and I probably <laughs> could have like jumped on a a Hellraiser straight to video sequel at some point. Like that oh, would have been. A, a fantasy come true for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's like that that market, I guess, just isn't there. It's like, unless you're making a thing that you're going to like, you're planning like the next 10 years of what it's going to be doing. Like, it seems like it's just not going to happen. So that's well, I think really you're creating. I think you're creating a, a potential franchisable character in, uh, in, in PG. I, um, and I, and I know we, talked about it a little bit but I, I can't wait to see this movie um it just looks so bonkers and and, and the fact that you said you know it, it it goes even more crazy than what we've seen in the trailer i cannot wait because um it looks like a lot of fun yeah it's you had you had uh, me a guyver <laughs> yeah oh it's it's all that stuff mashed together. It's a pretty pure distillation of like what's going on in my brain most of the time. <laughs> Fantastic. So, yeah. It's whatever that means, uh, good and bad. It's, it's all, it's all on screen. So I yeah, think we're going to, people I, uh, like it. I think we're going to have to have you back on our show uh, when we do our watch list, because we, Corey and I have this um, offshoot series where we break down like our top five of something. And, uh, and I'm thinking we need to have you back on for like a, a top five obscure or like Avco Embassy uh, best <laughs> films or something. Ooh, like sweet. That. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, what am I working my way through right now? I I just did like because of Stuart Gordon's passing. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I rewatched a bunch of his stuff, and uh, man, that guy has an excellent filmography that I feel like everybody should get on. Like he is the master of taken not a lot and making something out of it did you watch uh, king of the ants very under it no i haven't see this is the thing is i haven't touched any of his like i guess would it be post fortress yeah. era stuff yeah uh or post space truckers i kind of stopped yeah. at space truckers which i really liked i think his sci-fi stuff is super underrated oh totally uh, like space truckers and fortress and robot jocks are all great um, yeah, but I yeah, think people, like yeah. King of the Ants, uh, was it stuck? I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and was, did you do one? Was it Edmund? Yes. Called, I think those three I have not seen and I, I'm planning on like kind of marathoning those at some point soon. Yeah. King of the Ants is like the, is really good. In my opinion. Yeah. I, I, I hear they're all good. So I want to like give them a chance. They just seem like leaning a little bit more into like kind of the drama world. And yeah. I was more in the mood for, uh, you know, robot jocks, uh, pit, <laughs> robot jocks and uh, pit in the pendulum type stuff. Oh so, yeah. And, and, and prison yeah. prisons, de- pr- uh, futuristic prisons and whatnot. <laughs> oh yeah. Sci-fi prisons and intestination and all that good stuff. <laughs> I love it. We are, yeah, uh, I would definitely come back for something like that. Yeah, dude. Uh, nice. Look, I mean, Corey and I would be, 
equally honored to do, to, to go down that road with you. We will okay. That well, you heard it here first. We're gonna make it happen. Um, but at, we're we're uh, we're almost out of time. But I, I wanted first of all, your story is inspiring to us because uh, I love that you're just you're doing what you love. You're making it happen, regardless of how hard, how challenging. But <laughs> how miserable it how makes miserable me, yeah. <laughs> how depressing no <laughs> but but thank yeah, you no it's it's a soul crushing industry but uh, it's <laughs> very rewarding at the same time you get I mean I can't complain I get to make monsters and direct monsters for a living like I should not complain about that it's badass well Stephen thank you so much for being on our show uh, it really was a lot of fun I mean. My God, I I can't wait to rewatch The Void again and uh, Manborg and and Psycho Gorman is coming out this fall. Cannot wait to see it. Um, I I will gladly spend whatever I need to to own a physical copy because physical copies are where it's at, in my opinion. Um, cannot wait to do that. But thank you for being on our show. Yes, cool. thank, thank you, you very, very much. much for having me. That was a great time. Cool. We hope it wasn't too painful. <laughs> no, not not at all. Again, it's like I'm sitting at home noodling on some stop motion stuff. So I I got time right now. <laughs> well, keep uh, be on the lookout for our our watch list pitch to you. So uh, yeah, for sure. Keep me posted. That would be great. You got it. Thanks so much, and and uh, stay safe and healthy in Canada. Yeah, stay Thanks. safe up there. You guys too. Thank you. Thank all you. Right. Talk soon. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to Podcasting After Dark's exclusive interview series with Stephen Kostansky. And, as always, thank you for your support.